We've been working through the Psalms this summer. We've taken a break from Luke. We'll get back to that in the fall. But uh, for now, we're in the Psalms. And we're in Psalm 33 today. So if you will, uh, head that way either, uh, in your Bible or in a, an app that gets you there. You can use the Bibles in the pew if you want to. Uh, Psalm 33. And the way we're going to do that today, Psalm 33, is we're going to read the entire Psalm. And, and then we're going to look at it from a wide angle, kind of a 30,000 feet uh, perspective of the psalm to make sure we kind of understand where it's going. And then I want to zoom in on a, a handful of, of passages within the psalm and, and, and really kind of unpack uh, what, we, what we see there. Uh, and so before we even read this, though, I want to make sure you understand just really wide angle. This is a psalm that's about God. That, that's primary what it's about. And, and when I say that, I, I don't mean it's uh, what I mean is it, it's not a history of who God was in the Old Testament, right? It's, it's not that, but it's a revelation of who God is always, today, tomorrow, forever. This, this is the character of God and who he is that we're, we're seeing revealed in his word here. Now, it, it's also a psalm about, about you and I, uh, about the way we worship the Lord, about the way we wait on the Lord, about the way that we, we find ourselves rust, resting under the might and the strength and the power of our Lord. Uh, so that's, that's the incredibly wide-angle view of this. So uh, let's read it. Follow along with your eyes as I, I read it out loud here for us. Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plan of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The, the, uh, observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the revelation of your word. Thank you for, the, for, for your word, for the sweet nectar it is to your people around the globe today and, and for our souls here this morning in the sanctuary. 
Please soften our hearts to receive your word today. Please enlighten our minds to understand it today. And, and we ask, Holy Spirit, would you, would you make us strong to believe and to live according to your word? For your honor and in your strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like we've seen, right, the fact that it's in the call to worship, the way it's been worked uh, th- throughout the various liturgy today, this is a worship psalm. If you had to define it any way, that's what it is. It's a call to worship the Lord and to do so with instruments and with joyful hearts. That's the initial call. And in fact, six times here, we are commanded to worship in this one psalm. Uh, we, we, we see the terms for worship mixed throughout it. Even, even in the first three verses, look at this. Shout, praise, give thanks, make melody, sing, play skillfully. It's these words of worship that are, that are just scattered throughout. Uh, even there in verse 1, we read, praise befits the uprights. They're the uprights, not the uprights. That's football. Um, do, do you know what? Befits means. It's not a common word we use very often. It, it just means to be fitting or to be appropriate. It, it is appropriate for the upright. And by upright, he means the people of God to worship God at the very heart of it because we were created for that glorious purpose to worship our God. But, but also because God, quite simply, is worthy of our worship. See, scattered throughout these 22 verses are these qualities of God that that show him show reasons why he is worthy of worship and uh, we we see a few of them here because his word is upright because he is uh, faithful he's righteous because he loves justice his uh, his love is steadfast for his covenant people because his works of creation and his power and his knowledge and his fatherly care in in short he, he is worthy of our worship throughout because of who he is and if you really want to come down to it, this, this psalm, is, it, it, it takes our selfie mentality and, and redirects our gaze upward. It, it moves our eyes towards the Lord Himself, His glory, His wonder, uh, the world that He's created because our Creator is wonderful. It draws our attention to the One who redeems us. In short, it, it leads our hearts Godward for the sake of worship. So I want to look at a, a few different portions here. And the first one is verse 5. We're, we're here. Uh, it says of the Lord, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now it's telling us that God loves these things, but it's not simply telling us that He loves that the practice of, of justice and righteousness exists in the world, right? Though he certainly does, does love the pursuit of justice and righteousness by men and women in the world. But, but what verse 5 is really getting at is that God himself, he is righteous. He is just in the way that he deals with all of mankind. That, that's who God is. Now, to know that God is, is righteous and, and just honestly can be incredibly scary if you let the reality of what that means sink in. And, and the reason for that is because you and I, we are not righteous. We are not righteous. And that leaves us but before a holy God who is righteous and just. It leaves us simply, uh, simply condemned. 
But, but we also know that by grace through, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have union with Jesus, true union, so that in the gospel, God's righteousness becomes our righteousness. That, that's the steadfast love of the Lord for his children, seen in, 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 in from a distance at this point in Psalm 33, but revealed fully as, we, uh, as God unreveals his, his plan and, and everything in, in the New Testament. So then I want to look at verses 5 through 7 here because they also give us this image of God's steadfast love, which verse 5 says the earth is absolutely full of. How often do you go out and just look and think, okay, the earth is full of God's steadfast love? We'll get back to that. The the first way that he pictures it, though, is just creation, right? It, It reads, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the breath of his mouth all the hosts, right? That, that's the, the, uh, the planets and the stars, right? That's what we're talking about, hosts there. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in, store, in storehouses. Uh, this is just this lyrical version uh, of what the psalmist would have known from Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator. Or, or John 1.1, which the psalmist wouldn't have known, but we do, right? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And at some point, we begin to realize, you know, God was free, had absolute freedom to to not make the world at all. And yet, here we are. To, To bring the world into existence was God's desire. His desire. And it's an amazing thing to think, here is God, the Lord of everything right he he speaks and the entire universe is born i think one of the the more interesting aspects of of uh, our humanity and the way god made us is that we are creative beings uh, this is part of being made in the in the image of god that we are creative beings we 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 make art we compose music we invent Technological wonders and space shuttles, right? We, we modify plants and we've created chemicals that will repel bugs from us. So, you know, we, we create new recipes from, from flavors of the, of the world that just bring joy to our tongues when we, when we get to experience something like that. All, all this creativity is a good gift of God to, 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 for us, that, that he indeed made us creative. And yet, if we, if we can see that and appreciate it and glorify the Lord for that, and yet, at the same time, everything that we create is nothing compared to the way God creates. We must use His ingredients. We must use His supplies. And yet, God just creates it out of nothing. It's superior. I mean, the earth that we are sitting upon right now, at one point, did not exist. But God created with mere words, a mere desire of his will for it to be. And here it is, solid as can be under our feet. Verse 7 focuses on one aspect of God's creation, water. Water is a, an interesting aspect of our, our, our world. Uh, water in chaos can be absolutely devastating. I, I remember seeing it in my, in my hometown of Houston in 2017. We, we seem to see it every so often around here. Most recently as Tuttle Creek was pushed or Tuttle Creek Lake was pushed to the limits there. We, we've seen on the news just the destruction that water causes, whether it's tsunamis or blizzards or hail or rainstorms and all other sorts. But water under control is a great blessing. 
It's a, a work of God's steadfast love upon the world. I mean, just think of rain, right? Rain is an absolute wonder. And I know I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention this to you again. It's, it's necessary for creatures to live, for, for plants to grow. And in this wondrous world that we live in, it falls from the sky. We're not nearly amazed enough at that. Water falls from the sky. That's amazing. Water evaporates from oceans and other areas, and it's carried in a cloud over our head. It seems like magic. And then it falls in a drop that's large enough that it doesn't evaporate into nothing on the way down, and at the same time, small enough that it doesn't just crush plants and animals. Can you imagine if rain were the size of a gallon, right? With your little rain umbrella waiting for that to come down. Everything would be disaster. I mean, all of creation also is is a display of of God's glory. The the fact that we need oxygen in plants, well, they make oxygen from our breath. Glorious. You know, the size and the distance of the sun, the the beauty and variety of landscapes and beaches and rivers and, and flowers. And God's just amazing. The world, creation itself, just declares the wonder of who God is. Now I want to look at verse 10. Verse 10 is, is interesting because we, we don't praise people for causing frustration, do we? No, no one says, son, you have really frustrated your little brother. Well done. Keep up the good work. You know, no one says that. No, no one you know, says, you know, hey, Karen, you've seriously frustrated your husband. Look at his fists. They're clenched. You know, his red face as he walks away angry. You know, that's some quality frustration. I am so proud of you. Keep that up. No, no one says that. We, we, just, we don't consider frustrating someone a, a valuable ability. No one trains for that. No one's, no one's claiming, you know, my spiritual gift in this world, my spiritual gift is frustrating people. That's it. <laughs> so why then, in, in verse 10, is God... Praise for frustrating the plans of the nations and the peoples. I mean, you can see it there. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. We, we see God's work of frustration actually throughout Scripture. You can think of the, the Tower of Babel, right? They're getting together. They're going to build a tower to God. It's a, uh, an, an ultimate act of hubris and pride. And, and God frustrates their plans by dividing their languages. He stops them. Or you think back to, to Pharaoh in Egypt, right? I, I have these slaves. They work for free. No, they can't leave. Um, they can't go free. And God frustrates his plans in a number of ways, right? Praise the God for, for his frustration. Praise God for his frustration. Job 5.12 gives us some idea of, of what we're talking about here and why it's praiseworthy. It says, God frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. You see, the psalmist here is praising God for frustrating the nations because the, the plans of these enemies' nations are to destroy, to wipe out the Lord's people. And, and God in His sovereignty absolutely messes up their plans, thereby protecting His people. And so while God frustrates the nations, there is one exception, one nation, which God deals differently with here. Psalm 12 refers as this nation as his, his, his heritage, right? His chosen as his heritage. 
Verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The second part of verse 12, that cannot be said of any other nation in the history of the world but Israel. The Israelites didn't choose God. They didn't invite God to uh, come into their nation to live, right? God chose Israel to be his people. So then the, the question that usually comes up as Americans, um, I, I received a lot anyway, is, is the United States a Christian nation? Are we God's nation? And we can look at the, uh, the faith of our founding fathers, or at least some of them. Uh, our pledge says that we are one nation under God. Our money proclaims right on the top, and God we trust. And in our court still to this day, people swear upon a Bible to tell the truth. The, the, the laws that began to found our nation didn't originate in any intellectual vacuum, but were based upon the scriptures. And, and yet the United States has never been a true Christian nation. God at no point ha- has chosen our nation to be his people. We, we can't apply everything we read in scripture about Israel to the USA and just assume that's, that's what it is. Because we're not Israel. That, that being said, though, we, we certainly have had some deep Christian roots as a nation we should be grateful for. In fact, belief in God and knowledge of the Scriptures, biblical morality, at one time was revered in our culture. Not obeyed, not applied perfectly, often not well at all, not consistently. But the Scriptures used to be widely respected within our nation. And who can deny historically that we as a nation have been blessed of the Lord? As Americans, we, we can and should be thankful for that. And, and all the while remembering that since the finished work of Christ upon the cross, God's people are not Israel. God's people are the church found in nations all over the earth today. True Israel today is anyone whose faith is in Jesus Christ. It's, it's Christians are, are the people that the Lord has chosen as his heritage. And we rejoice in that. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 here. We, we read this. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Right, right from the start, you notice the word all there four times. And the, the little bitty section is the word all. He sees all. He looks out on all. He fashions the hearts of them all. He ob- observes all their deeds. Deeds. Uh, in some aspect, God here sounds a little bit like Sauron from the Lord of the Rings, except you can't hide from his eye. Uh, it's absolutely all seeing. And, and, and let's be honest, I, I think that image is sometimes the image people get when they hear that God can see and knows everything about your life, right? If, if someone's not in, in Christ, the idea that God sees everything is just terrifying. To, to know that even the contents of our hearts are laid bare, absolutely naked before the Lord, that, is, that can be truly terrifying. We, we, we prefer to hide our misdeeds, right? Um, many years ago now, actually, when we were uh, putting on a youth camp, uh, John Dunning and Lauren Travis and I and a bunch of other people, um, th- there was this night where uh, in the morning the staff came and talked to us and said, listen, 
Some of your kids kicked out the screen window of this, ruining the window on this, this building, this cabin, and then they trampled over a bunch of our raft stuff, creating some damage. And, and I was pretty upset about it. I go to the cabin, I talk to the high school guys that are in there, um, and all of them were, were swearing, it wasn't us. Didn't do it, not us, absolutely not. You know, we talked to him individually. Chris, did you do this? Nope, not me. Nathan, was this something you were part of? Nope, not me. And, and so I, I trusted them, but, but then the camp manager informed me, hey, we've got some video from a security video that points right in the direction there, and, and we can see the people. Come have a look at it. And I go, and I watch it, and I, and I see here's this leg kicking out the window, and out the window comes Nathan. Clear as day. Absolutely clear as day. He jumps off the roof. Everything that they said he did, he did. Everything he said he didn't do, he did. Um, Nathan was absolutely not excited to find out this video existed. Right? These are the kind of things that we, we, we want to hide. When, when we do wrong, we, we, we wish that there is no camera, there is no one to see it, that no one knows what's going on. It, it, still... That's not why this passage tells us that God sees everything, right? The idea is to be terrified of him. That, that's, that's not the point of Psalm 33 anyway. The point is, well, th- let me tell you another story from camps. So I'm telling camp stories um, to kind of illustrate this. There was a, uh, at, at the end of the week, we'd, we'd pile up in this bus that was really hot, so you can relate to it. Um, and, and we drive home, and, and one summer, Laura and I were driving in a, a car, and we had a van kind of thing, and we had a big U-Haul trailer in the back full of all the students' luggage, and, and we're going, and at one point, somewhere near Joplin, Missouri, the highway splits in two directions, and we take the right, and within two minutes, my state-of-the-art flip phone starts ringing, and so we answered it, because that's what you used to do while you were driving in those days. Um, on the phone is this, this woman named Julie Voss. She's the mother of one of the students. And, and this is long before GPS was in phones, uh, or at least widely available. Uh, we had no idea this was possible. And so you can imagine our surprise when, when she says, hey, you took the wrong turn. How does she know this? I mean, what in the world? Maybe you can't understand it in the world we live in today because it makes perfect sense to us. But at the time, you're thinking, is she the wicked witch of the West? Does she have a crystal ball of some sort? How does she know what we're doing? And you see, Julie's husband worked for Sprint, and so she had all these advanced abilities at Sprint. And she would have been sitting at home watching her daughter's phone that was being tracked on GPS, and it was packed in a bag in the back of our our trailer, and so she knew it the second it happened and, and calls us up. It was absolutely amazing to us um, because then she gives us directions. You're going to want to take a left at this and go across. How do you know this? It, it was amazing, but, but here's my point. This is why it's more like Psalm 33 and, and the all-seeing eye of God, his knowledge of everything, his, his ability to see everything is, is because uh, Julie's observing us here wasn't to get us in trouble. It wasn't to try to bust us. It was for our good. It was watching us for our good. This is why the psalmist here, right, who's a, 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 you know, one of God's people, what, why he is praising God for God's perfect knowledge of everything and everyone on the earth. He, he's thankful that God is not distant from his people or unaware of the details of our lives, that, that he knows what we need because he knows exactly what we're going on internally and externally. This should be a great comfort to us as the Lord's people. 
You know, parents, you, I mean, you've seen it. Even if you don't have children, you've seen, you know, parents with little children at playgrounds, right? The, the way that they watch what they're doing and they observe them, you can kind of see that stutter step when their kid goes near something dangerous. Um, just the observing, it's, it's not to bust their kids, I don't think, um, but to intervene when it's necessary. You know, stop, don't, don't run in the yard or take that snail out of your mouth or all the weird things parents have to say because they're protecting their children. So, so then, not only does God see everything and know everything going on with his creation, but, but something the psalmist doesn't understand at the time, but we know because we, we view the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, um, is this, that not only does God know the number of hairs upon your head, but he also came down and dwelled among us. I mean, that's the closeness of God. That's the wonder, the incarnation of, of Jesus. And, and then after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, you know, God sends the Holy Spirit not just to dwell among us, but within us. Within every man, woman, and child whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's the presence of the Lord in our life in a very real way. We'll look at verses 16 and 17 here. We, here. Here we read, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Now, if we just pause there for a second, and we're honest, a king does want a great army. A warrior absolutely would like to be strong, Right? If you're in a battle, you absolutely would have wanted the war horse to be your horse. And in case you're wondering, a war horse is just a big, powerful horse, often with armor upon it, that is ridden into to, to battle. It's the, the, you know, the most amazing horse you can have kind of idea. And, and the point here, though, is it's not that the army and the strength and, and the war horse are these bad, horrible things, right? Um, it's not that we should just close down our military and, and you know, hope. You know, that's not what this is trying to get us to practice into. He's, he's helping us, though, to see that worldly strength and protection are ultimately a false hope. A false hope. Um, this week we were riding our, our, our bikes around town and we were going through this uh, parking lot. And, and one of the cars was doing that blaring thing, just rah, rah, And I didn't even notice it. Uh, but, but Beckham began asking me, Dad, why do people have those alarms? And I was telling him, well, I guess the hope is that it's going to make noise and everyone looks and the thief's going to be like, oh, people are looking and I'll run away. And he's like, but no one does anything. They're kind of pointless. And it's, yeah, that's absolutely right. No one does pay attention to it. And in fact, we're mostly alarmed, like annoyed that it's going off. You know, there, there's been days where you kind of think, I wish you would steal the car. Just get it out of here. It's really annoying. Um, and, and, and here's the thing, you know, I'm kidding about that, but truly a, a loud car alarm is a false hope for security. And worldly strength and might is a false hope for salvation. The, the point is that while the war horse is a false hope, the Lord our God is a true hope. And that's, that's the contrast he wants us to make here. And, and while this psalm is, you know, initially has the national security of Israel in mind, we, we can't read this without seeing the, the spiritual implications with the word there, salvation. We just can't. It comes into every other aspect of our lives. Our, our good works are a false hope for salvation. Our family name, our, our money, 
That's a false hope for salvation. We could keep going through that list for quite a while, but, but you need to know that Jesus is the only hope for the sustaining of our lives and the salvation of our souls. Also, uh, let's not forget to be grateful to God for, for the protections that we receive every day and we don't always notice. When you think for a minute, we sometimes wonder, where is God in protecting us when something happens? We forget all the other moments when he is absolutely protecting us. Every, every trip in a car that ends without an accident, praise the Lord. Every accident that doesn't end with serious injury or death, praise the Lord. Every, every day without sickness, every year that another human doesn't cause harm to us, every, you know, even the freedoms that we have as citizens of our nation. These are reasons to be grateful to the Lord and the work that, that He is doing. Let's look at verses 20, 21. Uh, won't be here too long. Uh, verse 20 reads, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Uh, Americans, we are not typically good at waiting. I don't know if you know that. Uh, it's probably why we invented fast food and instant rice and instant everything else and microwaves. It's, it's the reason why... Uh, you, you get into a Chipotle line and, and people go to their phones within, what, less than two seconds? Um, we're just not good at waiting. But, but here and, and many other places in the Scripture, we are called by the Lord to wait for God. To wait for God. For, for Israel, they're, they're waiting for God to deliver them. They're waiting for God to show up in the way that they've been hoping for Him to show up in this military battle. For, for the church, we are waiting for the return of Christ, for the ultimate fulfillment of His kingdom. That's the waiting we do. And we could expound on that more, but we're going to move on to verse 20. 20 is a, a beautiful verse. Look at it. It says this. It says, For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Trust begets gladness when you're talking about the Lord specifically. Uh, I'll tell you, when we were, or when Berkeley, our youngest, was very little, uh, as a father, you always see fathers put kids on their shoulders, and you know, everyone looks so happy. So I can remember putting her on my shoulders at one point, and she just panicked and started clawing my face and like, wouldn't let go of my face. I couldn't see anything. It was, it, it was quite miserable, and it happened over and over again. And, and I'd have this conversation trying to get her to, you know, trust me, I, I have you. And, and she just claw my face with tear, you know, tears in her eyes. It wasn't a, a wonderful experience. Her, her, her trust, ultimately, what's going on here is her trust was, was on that grip of my head, right? If I hold on to you, I'm safe. If I don't, I'm not. That, that's the bottom line. Her, her heart was not glad, and she wasn't really holding herself anyway. We know that. She didn't have the strength to do it. My, my grip on her legs is what was really holding her there secure. And so later, when she did learn to trust... Her, her, not her grip upon my face, but my grip upon her. That's when she stopped really clawing. Hallelujah. Um, in that trust, though, her heart was made glad. The whole experience is different uh, as she's sitting there feeling secure in, in my hands. That, that's a, a picture of what it means for us to trust the Lord in the gospel. It's to not put our trust and our grip upon Christ, but Christ grip upon us, holding us securely, securing our, our union with him with his absolutely unbreakable grip. And when we rest in God's strength and the steadfast love, our, our hearts are made glad in him. 
One, one more verse and then we'll be, we'll be done here. Uh, verse 21, because we're there at the end. Uh, did you notice, though, or verse 22 is what it'll be. Did you notice in the first 21 verses that the people in this psalm are, are speaking about God? We, we do this in worship sometimes. Some songs are about God and some God, songs are spoken to God directly in worship. And in this psalm, we see both examples of this. Uh, and so verse 22, though, they, they actually turn and speak directly to God. It's this prayer asking God to continue to love them in the way that he does. It, it reads, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And you probably are familiar with the term at this point, because we bring it up often, particularly in the Psalms. But the, the Hebrew word for love here, steadfast love here, hesed, um, that's the covenantal love of God. Right? It's, it's contingent upon only his deciding to do so, his promise to do so. It's a sure, always faithful, never-ending love. That's, that's what they're longing for. Right? It, it's, it's a tender verse. It really is. We talk about praying the scriptures. This is one of those verses that so naturally ought to be working into our own prayers to, uh, to, to be able to say this as well. So that's, that's it for Psalm 33. Now, it, it is hard to really take a psalm and summarize it down into one statement. I mean, yeah, it's, it's about worship, but to go beyond that is really difficult in one point. So... Um, Psalm 33, though, the best I can, is a call to trust and worship the Lord because He is all-powerful and all-knowing and faithful to His people. In short, because the Lord is worthy of our worship and because the Lord has given us hearts that can see Him and love Him and worship Him, we will worship. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, teach us to never lose sight of how wonderful You are of the glorious future we have in the gospel, of the hope that we, we carry with us into the world, the, the hope of forgiveness in Christ. Lord, would you make us bold and generous with this message to those whom you bring into our lives. And may your steadfast love, O oh Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.